Hey folks, welcome to the Airport Wild Podcast presented to you by Lou Makers Wildlife Management. This week's episode, which is episode two of season two, we are going to be discussing nuisance trapping using Comstock custom cages and our guest is none other than the president and founder of Comstock custom cages, Jim Comstock. So a lot of good, a lot of good content in this episode. Uh, we have a lot of fun, a uh, bunch of laughs. So sit back, relax. Hope you enjoy it. And if you do, uh, throw a comment up there and uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Airport Wild Podcast presented to you by Loom Acres Wildlife Management. Today's guest is Jim Comstock from Comstock Custom Cages. And uh, Jim, how are you doing this morning? Really good. Really busy as usual that time of year, you know. Yeah, so uh, give me a brief introduction of who you are, where you're from, all that stuff, and then uh, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll kick it right into high gear, and uh, and yeah. My my wife and I, uh, Judy, um, I'm Jim Comstock. My wife Judy and I have the uh, Comstock Custom Cage here. We're in upstate New York. We're close to the Vermont line, about 100 miles from Canada. We have. Um, We've been, my family's been here since uh, 1700s. So this is uh, kind of deep rooted here. And um, I did a lot of family history and got found out all the background. And so I'm just comfortable here. We do a lot of nuisance wildlife control stuff. Uh, a lot of beaver work for the highway departments. And um, I do of course woodchucks, skunks and all the rest of the stuff too. So, you know, you say, so when you say you're from upstate New York, right? So like, obviously our audience is all over the country, right? And even we have, you know, listeners that are, you know, that are uh, overseas. You know, when I think of upstate New York, I think of like Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, right? Um, but, you know, up towards the Vermont border, that's kind of the Hudson River Valley, the, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's like trapping heritage up there, right? Yeah, like that goes all the way back to, you know, like the French Indian War and stuff, correct? Right. This is, uh, we're in what you call the foothills of the Adirondacks. Um, I, I do venture up into the Adirondacks because we're, we're right here. I mean, I'll be up in, in Lake George today, which is, you know, part of the Adirondack Park. And um, yeah, uh, we're about 40 minutes from uh, Manchester, Vermont, and just uh, two hours uh, from the border of Canada. So do you ever go to Vermont with your wife and get pure maple syrup or is that just a, so cliche? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, one, one of the guys, it was uh, a roommate. I was in college a couple of years and they say, what'd you take up? And I'd say space about this much. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was kind of a, a bad time. But anyway, he was uh, a fellow we met at a convention and he's, he's, he's over New Hampshire, I believe. And he, he brings uh, a lot of syrup to the shows. And we, we get some from him sometimes. Have you ever bartered and traded a trap for some syrup? <laughs> uh, no, I've had people who wanted to. 
<laughs> no, give me that money. So let's talk about that. So how did you get into trapping? I know, obviously, your family has been in that area. I'm sure it's a, a family tradition, but talk a little bit about that. Well, um, I guess the assumption it's a family tradition um, isn't quite exactly accurate. In fact, on two separate occasions, my father said to me, I'll pay you not to trap. <laughs> That's what he thought of it. And so you had a loving and, father. <laughs> yes. And well, you know, he, he was, he sold insurance, which is selling fear. And so he was kind of afraid of life. And I was just going to end up um, just kind of a, a, a nobody broke and destitute and probably be uh, uh, dependent upon him. So he didn't want to see that. He said, just get into something. You know, and I wanted to get into trapping, of course, but he, he wanted to steer me away from it because, uh, I mean, the people that were in it uh, weren't, you know, really that he knew of, weren't all that wealthy and all that reputable. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny that you say people who sell insurance sell fear. I have, that, I have uh, a buddy of mine that I've gone, you know, turkey, duck, and deer hunting with. And um, <clears throat> we, went to, we went on a hunting trip down to Ohio and we took his camper. And I mean, this was a brand new camper. And uh, <laughs> like, even when we were cooking dinner and stuff like that, <laughs> like he made me wear gloves, he wore <laughs> gloves. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like we're throwing hot dogs on a campfire right now. Yeah. He's like, ah, oh, Hart Hartford uh, sent me to this restaurant course. And uh, if you only knew what we're on our hands. <laughs> so, yeah. Literally every meal that we went to, it didn't matter if we went to McDonald's or we were cooking, he literally wore <laughs> gloves oh. to eat his food. And I'm like, how is that a way to live? Oh, man. <laughs> so I don't know if oh. your father was as OCD as that guy, but. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he, <laughs> but I, I understand where he was coming from because the the – a friend of mine and I, this Bob Baker, we had started trapping muskrats and raccoons together for, a, I guess, one one fall season. And then the next year, we went up to this John Thorpe's. Uh, he was the, the famous trapper in the country, really, in, in the area here, especially. He was only 20 minutes away. So when I went up to his place and saw bobcats and coyotes and foxes and otter and beaver and everything, it was like, whoa, it was an eye-opening experience. It was like, wow, this is neat. And it's like, I got to get involved in this. Nice. So how, so how old were you again when you started like actually like, yep. you know, when it became more of like, all right, you know, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet to this is my passion and this yep. is what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I was just 15 years old at the time. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that started it out. And then uh, it kind of morphed into uh state hopping, uh, fur trapping. I ran fur lines uh, in Virginia. And actually, I went with Thorpe. He had been down there a couple years ahead of me just for short periods. And then I went down with him, I think, in 76. And he was with me for three years. And we trapped a lot of beaver for the pulp companies, uh, Lake Anna, uh, Virginia Electric and Power. And um, at those days, you know, they didn't pay anything for it. All they just gave you the permission to go on there. They gave us a boat and a man on Lake Anna. We caught 188 beaver Holy on, the crap. Lake. on the one lake. We, that, our second season down there, we got 432 beaver. So, so was this, uh, I, I hear, obviously, you know, there's a, 
there's a there's a gap in age uh, between the two of us. Yeah. Um, like I'm not dying my hair. Yeah, like you just did. So uh, you don't look a lot older than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You got a you got a pretty sweet mustache. We'll put it that way. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I just started to let it grow out. I, it had grown out for about a month, and all of a sudden, Judy goes. Hey, <laughs> I'm like, thanks for noticing. <laughs> yeah, thanks for noticing. You, yeah, you look like a middle school gym teacher. It's uh, coaching bowling on the weekend. Is that a compliment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned that, and and the gym teacher that my daughter had had a giant mustache. Yeah. You wore tube socks and Converse, didn't he? <laughs> I do that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are you sure? Wait, time out, time out. Are you, are you sure you're Jim Comstock or are you, are you coach? Oh, geez, coach. I've never been accused of that. Uh huh. You, you walk around the cabin and just blow a whistle just for, just for me. No. Oh, man. So, yeah. All right, so back to trapping. So my question to you was, um, so back in those days, like I know when I've talked to, uh, like we have a mutual friend and Mike Batney, right? Uh, or a mutual. Yeah, yeah. Right? So um, I was talking to him and, you know, you guys are kind of the same generation and kind of have the same origin story. Um, but you got, you know, he's on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast. What were the fur prices like back then compared to, I mean, obviously now it's a joke, right? But I know he's told stories about buying trucks at 15 with enough money from just trapping, trapping beavers. Um, it could happen. Uh, in, let's see, it would have been probably 1980 after Thorpe had left and gone to Arizona to trap Bob, or, uh, coyotes with Bud Boda. Um, I stayed in Virginia myself for the fourth year, and that was the year the market went nuts. They were they were bringing a good dollar an inch, so uh, in fact more. Uh, oh, wow. We were getting sixty five, seventy five dollars. I averaged on the last batch of beaver I sold, I got thirty five dollar average, which now you can't even get that for a top beaver. So um, I, I had a very good winner there, and then. There was, uh, you know, stories about the bobcats, like California, Arizona, New Mexico, where um, in the last few years, they brought huge bucks. Sometimes they bring a thousand bucks. Hmm. But, um, yeah. I mean, I got to imagine just doing basic math, you know, if you're averaging $35 a beaver and you're trapping 400, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good payday. That's that's yeah. worth the trip down well, to Georgia. Of course, the year that we caught all those, I think they brought 12. <laughs> <laughs> That was a $12 average. So after John left, I just got lucky. He basically hit the lottery. The next year, the price went through the roof. And um, I, I averaged very well for that year. It was, you know, it was just me alone, uh, except for the three girls I was living with in the apartment. All right. All right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a story for us. <laughs> it's a story within a story. <laughs> yeah, that's where that mustache comes into play. Um, I guess. <laughs> so, so you're running all over pretty much like the East Coast trapping, doing nuisance trapping and stuff like that. And uh, I know from our previous conversation, uh, 
the stuff that you were using, you know, the uh, the equipment you were using back then is kind of what inspired you to start your company, correct? Yeah, um, I used uh, standard Conibear, uh, you know, kill traps for beaver. And, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, when you really learn how to trap is when you do animal damage control. You know, when you're fur trapping, it's one thing, you're not obliged to catch every critter every time. But when you start doing the nuisance stuff, you know, they've got a problem. They've got specific animals at a location and they have to all be removed. And it changes it from just a sport and fun to this is serious business. And when you wise up animals through sprung traps or mist trap, uh, you know, they, uh, trap fires or they get out, you got equipment that's bad, um, you got a real, real problem. And, and the cage traps that I was using, once you get into animal damage control, it, it's, uh, you know, when you're trapping in neighborhoods around pets and people, you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, basically live trapping. And so the traps that were available when I started out, you know, 30 years ago, were all pan traps, single door traps mostly, gravity operated. And with that, there was shortcomings, you know, just they just were problematic in all sorts of regards. So I decided to attack what I figured were the three major issues, which were making it bulletproof, absolutely so rugged that no animal could ever destroy any part of it or escape and then make them so they had a wire trigger so that the trap could be set in all sorts of different positions and then power the doors again so now you could set sideways upside down vertically any way you wanted yeah <clears throat> and i know when we previously talked it doesn't sound like you know like the conibears and stuff like that like the technology has changed whatsoever over the years correct which kind of well, that's exactly, yeah. The, the technology for the cage traps had been around since uh, early 1900s at the very least. And so we're looking at traps that are 80 to 100 years old that really, outside of little cosmetic changes here and there, hadn't really done anything that amounted to much. And so we basically re revolutionized everything. I got a patent on the trigger system and then did something nobody else had ever done was powered the doors. And then I I used quarter inch framing, which had only been used in, in, by a few people, but not in conjunction with the other aspects. Where did this all come from? Like, were you just sitting around, like, how, we're walk me through those like early stages of like, you know, research and development. Cause yeah. <laughs> you don't look like a scientist. <laughs> you don't look like an engineer. So I'm thinking, I'm picturing just like that redneck ingenuity that they talk about. <laughs> I, I guess that's what it was. Yeah. Um, having been, uh, you know, done family history and whatever, um, I had a great grandfather from Sweden who was a gear maker, a pattern maker for gears. And I had another uh, great grandfather locally who was a millwright. So I, I attribute maybe some of what came naturally from, you know, genetically, I guess, because I didn't know that I could do all this stuff. It was all of a sudden one day out of necessity you start, you know, getting little ideas. And I had modified traps. Uh, I took uh, the foothold traps we used in California and we trapped bobcats for eight years. I took the um, Northwoods traps and pulled the jaws out, reversed them and provided an offset jaw with a rounded edge. So it did virtually no damage to the feet whatsoever. 
And, you know, I, I, I get thinking about it. Uh, and then even with the Kana bears, I now have a self-supporting Kana bear that nobody else has. And I've got, I've got a whole barn full of stuff that nobody else has ever seen and things that, that I've used that, that they've, they've all worked. So when are you going to share, <laughs> when are you going to share that stuff? Or are you just sitting on a, you just sitting on a gold mine and you're like, nah, screw well, everybody else. If I had a gold mine, it's more like copper mine, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's some, some of the stuff needs, you know, tweaking and whatever and, uh, you know, getting right. But I do, I do leak stuff up at, out at times. We build like the, the conibears that, uh, are made that are the best conibears kind of bears are the magnum ones that close tightly. And then you take uh, a magnum conibear kind of bear and I cut it up. And um, it was Rich Casper in Nebraska who made the first 660s, they call them. So they're double wide. They're 24 inches wide, still the same height, 10 inches wide. And then they cover a whole run. So I took that concept further and I bought uh, Belial magnum conibears kind of bears and lap welded on the top to give me a, a bigger jaw and then when I, I designed the trigger system to go with it, that's basically in the center of the trap, now you can just drop it in the bottom of, the, of a, a stream where you've got uh, gravel or boulders or put it in a culvert and you don't need any kind of supporting devices. You just drop it in and go. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, doing a little research on obviously your traps and, and um, obviously, um, Lou makers uses them and stuff like that. But um, the traps that, you know, like the, the, the have a hearts and stuff that you get from Walmart or tractor supply and country max, they're pretty much junk, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Like well, they're not even, they're not really even like American made, right? Um, I, I, the, the have a heart brand you mentioned, I don't know exactly. I know they've been U.S. made for years. I, I've heard that some of them are being made in China. I don't know if all of them are now. I know if you go and buy the, um, uh, the other brands like the Tractor Supply and uh, Harbor Freights, that's all Chinese wire and, and things that'll happen. You know, it's one thing when trigger systems fail, um, you know, like the, the trip rods get bent or the pans get bent and broken or the doors get broken off. But on some of those traps, they're so poor that actually the animals bite the wire and, and twist, twist the wire apart. Yeah, I've actually seen pictures of that. You know, um, I follow a bunch of trapping groups uh, on Facebook, social media and stuff like that. And I've actually seen pictures of that. So, you know, you're uh, on your website. You know, it says Comstock traps will be the last cage trap you ever buy because nothing breaks. Why is that? Well, it that has to do with as much as with engineering is is understanding materials and animals both and stresses and forces. You know, it's like I've worked in the woods as a logger before, you know, drove a skitter and you know, it's just like when you're you're running a cable out to hook it around a tree. You have to snake it up through all sorts of stuff and understand how the logs are going to roll and things are going to turn. And, and it's just kind of a, a basic understanding of materials and stresses and forces, how things work. And, and, and like quarter inch steel, I knew would never, ever break or bend. And uh, the cage wire, the, the half inch by one inch uh, wire we use now for woodchuck skunks and raccoons and all that, uh, 
there's there's nothing they can do. Uh, our trigger system is so simple now. We have a what I call a, a breakaway trigger. We welded a uh, little post onto the what we call the swing bar, and then we bent a a loop wire with coils on each end that goes on the post. And now what happens is when the animal fights it, he pushes through the wire and fires the trap, but they're not on there so hard that they can't remove them. And then when they pop off, the animal can't break them. That's nice. with the uh, nine by 11 traps that we use. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like your traps are also bulletproof, right? Well, that's what we call, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's in quotes. In that's quotes. in quotes, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't but, shoot. Uh, <laughs> they, the animals don't break anything on them. There's nice. very little... There's very little in there to break. Uh, the other thing is that Judy just brought up is that everything on our traps is internal. Um, if you look at some of the other brands like the Havaheart, when they have a double door trap, they've got these uh, wires that uh, stick out beyond the confines of the trap and then they're balanced on this pan that's in the middle. Uh, to me, if, if you're loading up a truckload of traps, you can't have reach in there to pull out one trap and then four of them come out and then your wires and everything get bent. All of our stuff is totally self-contained on every trap we've ever made. Nice. So, um, I know when we previously spoke, um, you had a really cool, unique opportunity to work with uh, a research team up in Canada, right? When it came to trapping fishers and lynx and they, they had some struggles, uh, getting the numbers, right? So they contacted you. Well, what it was is it partly could have been uh, the brand and it partly could have been the trap itself it was a 30 inch trap they were using with a gravity door. And when they were doing the fisher work, they uh, missed a full 50%. And when you figure the time it takes to go out and, you know, get your traps set up and set up your cameras and all the work that they did with it, when you lose 50%, that's a huge, huge loss. And uh, they, they sent some of the footage where the animals backed out. And um, I didn't guarantee them anything. I'm always careful about that. But I said, you'll definitely do better with ours. And uh, they actually did 100%. They, <laughs> uh, they, never, they never missed an animal. Did you, like, was that that moment where you just walk around and you puff your chest out? There's, like... a lot, there's a lot of those. <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's almost daily. And that's yeah. the biggest reward is knowing how we've changed people's lives and helped them in their endeavors. Whether yeah. fur trapping, whether it's animal damage control, whether it's research work, whether it's a homeowner that, that bought a junk trap and yeah, I just caught the woodchuck three times and he broke out and we send him a trap. And the other thing we supply is because we're a trap maker, we want you to be successful so that the methods that we use in our own business and what we learn from others, we share with everybody. And then henceforth, we get the call back usually within 24, 48 hours. Got him. <laughs> That's awesome. You love those calls, don't you? Oh boy. It, it, it just makes you feel so good. You know, they say they thank us for having invented the traps, which uh, it, it couldn't make you feel any better. Mm -hmm. But, uh, um, Oh, was one thing what I was just going to say. What? So you also did some, you also did some. I was just saying now, you know, when people call up and say, uh, got him, you know, 
Well, um, you know, we have traps set out all over the place for all sorts of different animals. And you'll have a client that'll call you up in the morning and he'll go, yep, you got him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, what did we got? <laughs> and and uh, who are you and where did we get it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, now also you guys, um, the same, I think it was the same, uh, same research project. They were trying to catch lynx. Well, uh, they're catching Fisher. The lynx was an in incidental catch, which they were able to release. Yeah, now they're they're statistically aren't they like extremely hard to catch? Uh, uh, you know, cats come into uh, cage traps quite well. Bobcats, bobcats, and lynx. Yeah, of course, Fisher do. They've also got. They sent us some uh, uh, Fisher footage and also Martin Fisher footage mm -hmm. that they caught in our traps. So are you seeing, uh, you know, obviously we could talk about the trends in the industry and stuff like that. Um, are you seeing, a, you know, a surge in, you know, more people getting into trapping or is it more people getting out? The fur trapping is going to be dwindling because of the market, because it just doesn't pay people to go out. There's still people that are going to trap no matter what, you know, it's like, I always say, if I wasn't trapping, I'd probably be trapping, <laughs> you know? So sure. it's like, you're just gonna trap, but as to, to degree, um, if a guy's out there, you know, he's been catching 50 or 100 foxes a year or whatever, and they find out they're worth $5, well, maybe just goes and catches a few closer to the house and just does it more recreationally and doesn't worry about any income. But now it's morphing from people who were fur trappers have moved over into animal damage control and then there's a lot of new people that were never trappers seeing that it's a lucrative business moving into animal damage control mm -hmm. so <clears throat> i know obviously there's there you know when you when you talk about fur trapping right you know are the numbers of are dwindling at all i mean i know when it comes to you know when i talk to people on here about like turkey numbers uh, just bird numbers in general, you know, um, whether it's ducks, geese, turkeys, stuff like that, their, their numbers are dwindling. Are you seeing, you know, a good number or a healthy population of, of beaver, muskrat, and otters? Very healthy. There's, yeah. there, I know, I can't, I can't tell what the overall take is, but the last three years have been my business years in animal damage control for beaver. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've done three years here, uh, 200 or better. What's your favorite thing to trap? <sighs> beaver <laughs> are one of my favorites, but you know, I like trapping otter. I love trapping. We trap bobcats in the desert in California for eight years. Um, if it moves, I want to catch it. I don't care <laughs> what. If, if somebody had a deal where there was tons of possums or anything else, I'd go after them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm a big turkey hunter, right? So, you know, those nest raiders, you know, possums, raccoons, coyotes, you know, if I'm setting a trap line out and I get any of those, I'm really, really happy because oh, yeah. I feel like I did, I did my, my, my service, I guess you could say, especially with a possum. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even opposed to maybe uh, swerving on the road to <laughs> smack yeah. one every once in a while. So, uh, what um, you know, 
what is like when I ask you, hey, what's the hardest thing to trap? What comes to mind? An educated animal. Yeah. Of almost any kind. Any kind. Uh, now, if you're talking just, uh, uh, you go into an area, I call it like a virgin area where the animals haven't been messed with, where people haven't trapped them already and released them or tried to trap them and, and, and got them all uh, spooked, you know? Um, if you go in, everything is fairly easy to catch, but once you um, have a sprung trap or a, a miss or an animal escapes a trap, you've got problems, especially in the states where you can only use cage traps, then you don't have other options to go to. At least here in New York State, I can use uh, you know, snares, conibears, footholds. Uh, I can shoot a beaver if, if I need to, um, you know, the cage traps, everything. But in other states, they can't. And so they, there's a variety of different cage traps you can use, but you're still trying to get an animal usually to go into something and it presents a real issue. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what are some of the techniques that, you know, that maybe you do or you use that maybe differ from, I don't know, somebody like me who's not very experienced at all in, in trapping? When we first began, um, this whole thing just sort of morphed into what it is now because I had trapped beaver, say, in Virginia and, and done it for the fur down there, though it was really animal damage control. We just didn't get paid for. Uh, when I came back to New York after the bobcat trapping in California, the beaver numbers had grown exponentially because the prices had been down to five, ten bucks again. And so I'm driving around and there isn't a crick within, you know, 30 miles or 50 miles of the house that doesn't have a beaver on it. They were everywhere. So... Um, um, I started trapping the beaver in earnest and then people started calling me and saying, can you come and get them? And then it started, I started paying, they started paying for them. And then people would say, geez, I got a skunk. Think you can trap it? And I'm like, well, yeah, we'll give it a try. And then it just went from, uh, one animal to the other. And, uh, I used uh, equipment that I got from a trapper that lived about, 40 miles south here and uh, he had been in the business a lot of years and his method was simply to take a single door trap with a pan gravity operated and put a bait and lure in the back and he had this universal bait that he used for skunks woodchucks raccoons possums everything and it, he was successful at it to a degree but not to the degree that I like I mean I'm a um, instant gratification guy. I want to set a trap and I want to come right back and I want that animal tomorrow at, you know, when, and we, what I always use is the example, when we were in California for two weeks, we had trapped bobcats and I didn't know the country. I knew bobcats a little bit from trapping them in Alabama, but the next year in California, I had caught a dozen cats in about two weeks and that wasn't bad. But I told Judy, I said, there's a lot more bobcats here than we're, we're catching. I can tell you right now, and uh, this Fred Vest, who was a local guy, he says, well, all you can do is set high and low, right? And it was like, I, I almost cried. It was like, thank you, Fred. You just what, is that, what does that mean? It gave me an entire course in Bobcat, all I needed to know. The Bobcats traveled the ridges and they traveled the bottom of the washes. 
And all I had to do was set my traps there because I, I had traps set all over, high, low, in between, everywhere, at random. And um, and, and the and the best story was right after he told me that I had missed bobcats in one single trap for an entire week and not caught a bobcat. And they were messing with a dirt hole set, which is a standard set with bait and lure. And they reach in, they hook it, and they play around it. And I could see the tracks around. I was getting kind of frustrated. And as soon as Fred said that, I moved the trap five inches. I put a little block in it and caught three cats in four nights. And that told me the story. And then after that, the, that year we caught 50 cats. The next year we caught 111 bobcats in six weeks without any bait or lure. How'd All you do that? Trail sets. Everything trail sets? Trail, trail sets. And that was the basis for what got me back into doing what I'm doing now with the cages because you can set a conibear in a hole say for a woodchuck or a raccoon or skunk or anything and and that works fine but when you're doing it in a residential area where you've got kids cats and dogs you don't want to be having uh animals you know oh yeah we got we got your skunk and killed your cat you know that's not <laughs> that's not good not good <laughs> so um, how many of those calls have you had Jim None, 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 because you none know, that you, you can got, talk about. No, 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 really. You, you've got to be sensitive to yeah. to that, you know. Sure. And it was like I was always sensitive to that right from the beginning. But the single door trap was a limitation because you have to bring the animal to you. I want to bring the trap to the animal because mm -hmm. if I bring to the trap to the animal, I got it. He's mine. As soon as I see a track where he's traveling, I own that animal. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all over but the crying. That's all it is. He's mine. When, when it comes to uh, using the bait and lures, um, I do use uh, caster lure for beaver because it's very, very good. Like it's a 99 percenter. But there's other things with baits that, you know, the animals come up one day, they look in it, they walk by it, they're not interested, they're not hungry, whatever. And um, it wastes a lot of time in animal damage control. And also you attract non-targets when you're using bait anything can come in. When you take a trap, um, we gave a presentation to NUCOA National Organization a few years ago about um, baitless trapping. And it, it was about squirrels, woodchucks, skunks, everything. And um, what we do now is we set a double door trap at the entrance to the den. You rake up the ground, set your trap down, move it back and forth a few times, because you don't have a pan in the bottom. You don't have to worry about any clogging or any messes. The dirt bleeds up through the bottom. The wires are all covered. You've got a metal nose cone with a flap that sets down over the den hole and then joins to the trap. The animal, when he comes out of the den, he's got one way to go through the trap. And the best part is, if you don't know the animals in the trap, which you never really do in, in a den hole, if you set that, he might come back in two, three, four days, maybe a week and you got him hmm. and you're not there's no maintenance you don't have to keep coming back and changing baits you don't have to update anything and and the clients right there he, a lot of times they just look out the window and they go yep nothing in it nothing in it oh you got one and it's that simple and so we pass that on to everybody and it's made them uh, uh untotal money so when it comes to like educational purposes or just learning or like honing in on your craft, right? I got to imagine when you get to your caliber 
of experience and expertise and all that other stuff. Um, and just sheer talent. We'll just, we'll just call it what it is, right? You're good at what you do. Um, where do, do you, do you, is there other people that you maybe bang ideas off of or go back and forth when it comes to maybe tips and techniques? Everybody. Yeah. Okay. Every single person. I don't dismiss anybody about anything by the amount of experience they've had or what they've said, because oftentimes uh, somebody could just be a first year trapper. Tell me something that I'm like, well, what was that you said? And you're like, well, thank you very much because <laughs> there's so much to learn. It's yeah. just constant. I mean, um, I got a call from a guy the other day out in British Columbia and he'd caught 60 otter in our traps. And then he said, well, we missed one, you know? And I'm like, all right, well, what happened? Well, they ended up catching it in a conibear afterwards. The book says otter get up to 30 pounds. And I've seen myself up to 32 pounds. So I know they get 30, 35. And he told me about this otter that they had caught. And I said, you better send a picture. And he did. It weighed 52.47 pounds. Are you 20, sure he's an otter? Almost 24 kilos. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen the picture. It was, I mean, these, these are uh, river otter that live in the ocean. And I don't know if it's a, a little different subspecies or whatever, but some of them are monsters. Yeah, I know. So I had, you know, when I had Mike on, Mike Matney, uh, we talked about the difference between, like, I never realized that, like, like I thought otters were otters, right? I didn't realize that, like, sea otters, sea otters are freaking huge. They're like, right. yeah, yeah, they get they get real big. But when you're talking about a 52 pound river otter, yeah, that's a monster. That's, that's a crazy. monster. A 40, yeah. a 40 would have been, you know, unheard of. Yeah, but so, I mean, he's he had a picture of it on the scale. It's like, so was it just too big to fit in your trap, or? Well, it was it was so long. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say. I think it it backed out. Um, it, something happened that uh, it, it backed out. So. And, and I, I can either make longer traps or I've got another design for a double trigger, which means they have to fire the first and the second trigger before they go all the way through and it puts them farther into it. So there's always ways to deal with it. But I mean, that would be like, you know, you're out there trapping 20 pound raccoon and all of a sudden somebody says, well, I got 70 pound raccoon, you know, and then you'd have obviously have to deal with it with a different trap. So what's the biggest uh, what's the biggest beaver you ever caught in one of your traps? Unfortunately, uh, the biggest I've ever caught was sixty six. Okay, why is that unfortunately? Because well, there's <laughs> a lot of guys that catch them bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a guy in Massachusetts. Uh, he's just putzing around and he set the trap on land, right side up, which is not the way I actually designed the, the beaver trap to work. He caught two 70 pounders. He got one in one day and one the next. How pissed were you? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. He, he threw the thing over his shoulder, sent the picture. It was like, it looked like he had a bear. Yeah. I mean, they were big. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't get over how big they get. Yeah. I mean, and I'm like, I, I just don't understand. Like I've heard. Um, so I used to live in Indiana. Right. And, um, 
you know, my uncle had some property that bordered up to a farm and he had a creek that ran through it. And um, <clears throat> I was out there deer hunting and I noticed the water level just kept rising on one side <laughs> but dropping <laughs> on the other. And so I'm like walking this creek bottom and I see a, um, oh man, I can't even remember the, um, a sycamore. Now a sycamore tree, they get huge, but hey, trees, they're yeah. hard. Like yeah. that's yeah. like, like you can't, yeah. Like hanging a tree stand in a sycamore tree is damn near impossible. Right. And right. I've learned that the hard way with right. a drill <laughs> trying yeah. to put tree pegs in, you know? Um, but, uh, this beaver had a sycamore tree that was a like I mean it was a ancient looking tree and he had this thing dwindled down you know chewed all the way down to like all right he's maybe got one or two more nights of chewing and this thing's coming down and you know so I called you know I went back to the house and I told my uncle I was like you got a beaver problem I mean a huge beaver problem I mean I once I got around the den every tree <laughs> was just gone and so we called the DNR, the DNR sent out a guy and he set, you know, he set like 30 traps along in this den and in this Creek and whatever. And the biggest one he caught, um, was 55 pounds. Yeah. And I remember looking at that thing, like, Holy crap. Yeah, that's big. But we had no idea where they came from, how they got there. Like, I mean, he had lived there his, you know, for like 20 years and had never seen a beaver. We've seen bobcats, you know, but we've never, and coyotes and raccoons, but we had never even seen a beaver before up close and personal until, you know, until that happened. But it just goes to show, I mean, you know, West Central Indiana is flat. <laughs> There's nothing there. It's just all miles and miles of cornfield. And then here, you know, we're like, I want to say 30 something beavers just crushing a creek. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, they, they can cover a lot of uh, ground, especially, uh, you know, if you've got any good sized rivers around, you know, they, they hop on a river and they can go forever. Yeah. And they start showing up in places they, they've never been before. But, you know, it's funny when you mentioned that, like that, I can't tell you how many times that I've had people say to me, um, it was a guy out mowing the grass one day and I'm talking to him and I said, I had just told him, I said, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have said, I've never had a chipmunk in my house. I've never had a squirrel in my house or a bat. About then the lady comes downstairs. She goes, I've been here 35 years. I've never had a chipmunk in my house. <laughs> and, uh, I say, well, there you go. And, and it's, uh, I said, well, consider yourself lucky, I guess but you have it because usually everybody gets something at some time or another. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> you ever had, I mean, obviously you do a lot of nuisance trapping, you do a lot of damage control. Um, I know you said earlier, your phone's been ringing off the hook. Um, as we're like expanding our population and kind of the human thumbprint is kind of taken over. Um, how is that increasing your business for damage control? You can't hurt it because what <laughs> happens is, you know, you move out into the suburbs and, and uh, are into the, basically in the farmland and then turn it into suburbs. And there was animals already living there. And um, 
in in fact, even in in the cities, I mean, cities and and suburbs and country, I mean, there's just so much interaction between man and animal now, and there's just a, an awful lot of call uh, for the uh, animal damage control. What do you what's the what do you get more calls on? I I've I pushed the beaver because when we came back here back into town 30 years ago. Um, there were so many beaver around and then I got around to all sorts of places and got made my contacts. Um, they're the ones and I do like doing woodchucks a lot too. We, we still will catch 100 200 woodchucks on a good year. And, um, and I, I like doing skunks all right because people, uh, they always say that, that stinks. I say that smells like money. Because <laughs> nobody nobody's gonna load up. Um, uh, a skunk in a car and, and relocate it. And that's the other thing too. When you go to the hardware stores and you buy a, a cage trap, nowhere do they inform you that when you catch that animal, you cannot transport it and or relocate it. Only, only the nuisance wildlife people. And in some states like Ohio, you are required to dispatch whatever you catch. You are not allowed to relocate it to another place. You can live trap it, which is humane, and not you know do injury to pets or uh, people, but it has to be dispatched. Hmm, that's a, it's good to know. Um, yeah, we uh, so I remember going down to a airport and doing a little bit of woodchuck trapping. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I had uh, I had never you know I, this is my first it was my training basically and uh, so I go down there and it's you know it's in the southern tier of New York and this airport this particular airport is overrun with woodchucks um, and when I say overrun I mean we're catching just on this airport alone we're catching 100 to 160 a year right? oh yeah that's serious yeah it's a serious I mean it literally like you know it's they basically out in the airfield and stuff. I would hate to be the guy who has to mow that grass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> looks like a minefield. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we do a, you know, what, uh, what we use the term and I'm sure this is universal, but we do a blanket trap, uh, where we just set conibears out on all their holes and, you know, and, and a certain area. And then we basically, we come back, we check it twice a day. And if we catch a couple, you know, you know okay great then we move to another area that's just overloaded with with holes we're setting traps up on fence lines and uh i remember the biologist that was with me um i asked him i was like do you just accidentally catch anything else he's like oh yeah he's like you know uh -oh. skunks he's like yep i'm like all right cool you know like let's let's catch one of these you know i'm like all right so he was having like an off day. We weren't catching a ton. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but you know, I'm an outdoorsman. So my instincts kick in. I'm like, you ever tried setting traps up over like this culvert pipe and you know, whatever and underneath it. And he's like, no, and I was like, you know, so we're looking, I'm like, you know, there's some holes like under this air conditioning unit and stuff like that. So he's like, Hey, if you want to set them, go ahead. So I said, um, uh -oh. <laughs> I end up catching four skunks. <laughs> oh, jeez! And he was so pissed off because, really? yeah, because one of the skunks that we caught, there was no way around it. We were going to get sprayed. 
the wind oh. direction and where oh. the skunk was and how he was because oh. he was going into the trap, not out of the trap. And uh, so before you know it, knew it, you, the whole airfield just smelled like what you call money. Hard to hide. Yeah. And so that winter, I remember where we were on the airfield. All of a sudden, you're like, he's like, I hate you. I hate you. So then I leave, right? And he was there for another like six days. And he's like, I caught 14 skunks because of you. That means I had to dispatch and deal with 14 skunks because of you. And I'm like, well, did I catch a woodchuck? He's like, no, you caught all skunks. Why did that happen? Because I mean, den, den holes are den holes. You can't tell always what's going in and out of them. Sheer now, luck, man. Was he sending? Was he setting the den holes with the conibears? Yeah. Yeah. And you just found different den holes. Yeah, they were that's just unused. That's just luck of the draw. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I have, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but that same airport, uh, we've actually caught. In your traps, we've actually caught a couple of albino woodchucks. No kidding. Yeah. Did you do anything with them? Did you save them or anything? Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, the owner of the company, Cody, uh, I think he actually uh, he saved one, and he was trying to he's trying to find like a breeding pair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, that uh, would be that would be something. Yeah. Yeah, but they, uh, well, we've been, I don't know, um, our biologists out there, you know, he, he's, he's had, we know where they are, and that's where we put, you know, your, your the Comstock traps out there to try yeah. and catch these uh, albinos, but, uh, yeah, what's the weirdest thing you ever uh, ran into out in the, in the field with nuisance trapping? Oh, that's hard to say. Weird, I don't know. I've had... I was just thinking of one crazy story. We were we were just ready to leave town, go on a trip, and I get this call. You know, it's like we're getting ready to uh, go to bed in about an hour, and then I get this call about a, a skunk. And Jude says, you can't go. You can't go. And I said, I got to go. I got to. So it was local here, so I, I get there. So the girl opens the door and the dog runs out and latches right onto my pants. <laughs> so the dog, I said, I said, what's this in favor of? I said, come on, I'm here to get a skunk. Now I can't chew it up by your dog. It was a little dog, you know? So she hauls the dog back. Well, the skunk had come out from underneath the fort. And <laughs> I was, I, I, I was, I was trying to grab it, you know, get a hold of its tail. And, and you could, you can pick them up and, and sometimes they won't spray. A lot of times they don't. Sometimes they do see so you. You need to uh, uh, plant, uh, point the business end away from you. So if it does spray, you don't get it, obviously. So uh, with little ones, you know, the little ones that are about the size of a tennis ball, you, you just run around picking them up like picking apples off the ground, you know, and load them in a barrel. And they'll say, <laughs> oh, they don't spray? I said, of course they do, <laughs> but, but they don't have much. So, and I don't care. So anyway, I'll load a bucket up full sometimes, but this one, um, uh, I get there and then she starts telling me the weird story about it. It's been eating the dog food off the porch and I reached for it, but it turned and went back under the porch. And she said, well, if I let the dog out, the skunk will come back out again. And I said, 
well, then let the dog out again. So I jumped up on the tail. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I, the dog came out, went under the porch, and chased the the dog goes under to chase the skunk. Well, a second later, here comes the dog with the skunk chasing the dog. And so I'm chasing the skunk, the skunk's chasing the dog, and the dog's chasing me. So, <laughs> so we ran around in a big circle there for a while, and I finally, I, I grabbed a cage and I pinned the skunk down and, and threw, him, threw him in the back of the, just threw him in the back of the truck. You know, I got a cap on there, so I closed it up. And uh, then she started telling me more weird stories. She said, well, there was another skunk that got run over in the road and the skunk that had been under the house went out and grabbed that one and dragged it back under the house. And, and it was like, none of this made sense at all, but I, I solved their problem and went home. <laughs> and then they paid you in maple syrup. <laughs> they paid me in maple syrup, as, as you'd expect, yeah. <laughs> You know, I've had several people that want to trade me. You can't believe it. You think it's funny. I've had at least at least two or three people try to trade me. Does that conversation always start the same way? Well, you know, it's been a little rough these days, so yeah. <laughs> I've got some goat milk. <laughs> What's the most random thing someone tried to trade you? Uh, I don't know. Besides I don't know. Usually people are, are pretty good about, you know, just write me a check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just cash it next Friday. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, for being in the business, I've had very few uh, problems with people. Yeah. Sometimes I've had a few have had to chase down for a while, but most of the time it's pretty good. And I'm thinking, who would you least likely want to get mad, but your animal control guy? Yeah. Because, something could show up at your house that was completely strange. Yeah. You know, when, uh, you ever have like a client that's just, no matter what you do, no matter how many things you trap, maybe they just have a different un unrealistic expectation or you just can't satisfy them. You know what usually happens? <laughs> I catch so damn many animals they are like, where are they all coming from? <laughs> you know, the guy will say, I've got a skunk living under my house. Okay. Well, after I've caught number 11, <laughs> they're like, where are they coming from? I said, you're telling it. <laughs> Your house. I said, I don't know. Well, how many more do you think there is? I said, you live here? I got no idea. I said, I'll quit anytime you want. But usually what happens is you end up catching more than what they expected. Yeah, because they don't they don't know exactly what's going under their house. They don't have a camera set up or anything. So, yeah, um, you ever run into a situation where you know when you're doing damage control, where it just doesn't it's just not working out <laughs> the way that you want it to. Um, a lot of times when I get the call, I'll ask for the situation that I'm getting into, and I'll, I'll mostly you almost know ahead of time. Oh boy, this is going to be a tough one or it's maybe not gonna be productive. I mean, I had one here the other day that I basically, I talked myself out of a job because I'm honest with people. I tell them, uh, just because you smell a skunk doesn't mean there's a skunk there. There was a skunk there, obviously, at one point, but is he still there? Well, in the wintertime, when they're breeding in February, when you've got snow all the way around the building, it just snowed a fresh snow, if there's no tracks, there's no skunk. 
And this girl called and she said, well, I'm calling you now. We, uh, we want to have that skunk trap. I said, well, it's going to snow tonight and let me know if you see tracks. Well, the next day she said, there's no tracks. I said, there's no skunk. I said, there's <laughs> nothing I can do for you uh, to solve your problem because you don't have a skunk. She hired another company. She said, you said you couldn't do it. I said, no. I said, I can't catch what's not there. So she had the other company come in. They set traps for two weeks. They caught two squirrels, no skunks, and charged them. And they probably charged them a lot more than I would have. And I said, I can charge you for, for something like that, but I don't feel good about it. And I want, I want success. I want closure. I want you to say, yeah, we, we accomplished something, not just collected a paycheck. So um, anyway, I don't know. I got to go talk to the park manager and see what exactly happened. But I, don't, they, I know they didn't catch anything. And I, I advised them, don't hire me because we don't have a skunk. Mm-hmm. And so do you work with a lot with like municipalities or I know you said park rangers and stuff like that. Um, how, do you, how do you get your business? Where does it come from? A lot of it's word of mouth now. I'm really not advertising anywhere. Yeah. I, it's just uh, so you're not you're it. not expecting a, a surge of business after this podcast um, <laughs> where people I, are going to want to look at your mustache <laughs> i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> i've been watching the westerns lately i see yeah <laughs> <laughs> man everything changed when you got back from alabama huh <laughs> uh, you know that what was the one there tombstone yeah tombstone. <laughs> they all got big mustaches. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Like I've been doing the the highway departments, and what they've been doing is passing my name around. So the areas that I'm covering now are kind of growing, because there'll be people that were in it that got too old to do it anymore or whatever, and um, so I've been picking up more as it goes. But I do, you know, like New York State DOT. I do uh, the the different county. I do a lot of townships. I, I do uh, lake associations. And uh, so, um, and then I look too, it, it's kind of rotated because there was a lot of places I used to do I haven't done in a long time, but I pick up new ones and it's enough to, where I'm busy all the time. And then with the cage business, I do make uh, custom stuff or new stuff all the time. I'm trying to do R&D. I've got a couple of new raccoon traps out there that, you know, basically only a couple people have some nobody's seen. I just made one, you know, one prototype. And, uh, um, but you know, all the ideas are clicking in all the time and it comes from other people too. A lot of times yeah. <laughs> people will make suggestions or say things and I can say, I'm listening because I don't have all the ideas. I've just got a few and everybody else has collectively got tons of them. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's Jared Walker. He was in Michigan. He wanted to build a, a narrower raccoon trap. So we built a six by 11. Now they take the trap and they lay it over on its side and run it up against a dormer where the raccoons ripped into a house. And a lot of times they don't even have to use any wire. They just jam the trap up, put one screw to hold it in place. Now you got a positive set over the hole where the raccoons going in and out. And if you're in a place where they're going in and out of soffits or uh, going uh, um, fascia, you can screw that trap on. It can be upside down, sideways or vertical. And, and it works just fine. Nice. Um, yeah, when you said, uh, <laughs> when you said R&D, for whatever reason, I just have this picture of you <laughs> like in this like bat cave type thing, <laughs> just <laughs> surrounded by, by all sorts of traps and mechanisms and stuff. 
Well, <laughs> and Judy just yelling at you from the porch. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of all sorts of parts and things laying around and uh, different things in half stages. And what's really weird is you'll build something or draw it up and forget it and then come back on it a year later and go, oh, wow, that's neat. <laughs> you know, and it's like a first time you never even saw it before. Don't even mm -hmm. remember drawing it or doing it and then find ways to uh, uh, add a few parts to it or change it a little bit. And all of a sudden, wow, it's, it's going to, this is going to work. Why didn't I do that before? How many, uh, how many traps do you make a year? Do you think? I don't make that many, you know, <laughs> I make in the dozens, maybe I'd make, you know, five dozen traps or more. I don't know here at the shop, but the factory that makes them in Wisconsin, they're mm -hmm. sending them out. We sold thousands. Yeah. Like, like the beaver trap. Now there's thousands of those in, um, in service. And I've been using them almost exclusively in my nuisance beaver control stuff now for uh, this is coming up the 11th year. Yeah. And we catch 95% of our, our beaver in the cage traps. And, and to date, we've caught 1,528 beaver in it. Hmm. So um, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got four beaver spots to set now today. I, I, hope, I hope to get to them by, before the day's over. And... Uh, What's nice with the cage traps is you can set them in so fast. Yeah. You set the trap, just drop it in and walk away. There's no wiring. There's no staking. If you don't camouflage it, it doesn't make much difference. Only if people are, you know, going to be in the area, you think somebody might steal it. And I really haven't lost any since I've nice. been doing it. Yeah. Well, we'll end on that. Um, I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and talking about your company and your, I mean, I'm sure we could sit here all day and just trade stories. You think? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the the one thing that, that I would like to uh, promote the most is yeah. that we share our knowledge with everybody and anybody who, who purchases anything from us. Anybody who has a question, uh, you've got a question on a Sunday night or a Saturday morning, we're always available. I, if I'm out trapping, I can't always answer instantly, but usually that day or within a few hours, um, we'll help people out of their situations. And what our advocacy is for baitless trapping that makes it so much easier and so simple for everybody to do with the woodchucks, the skunks, the raccoons, same thing with armadillos. Uh, we, we sell armadillo traps. Uh, you know, all of our traps are good for um, all of that stuff and where they do what they call drift fencing, you mm -hmm. fence and then and, and basically run the animal into the trap with fencing at 45 degree angles. But we set trail sets. Uh, we set a long structure. Um, we set, um, I say, the den sets anywhere animals are going in or out of buildings uh, with the double door traps. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, it's kind of cool. I mean, not only are you uh, are you getting like a really high end, effective, you know, worth the money product, but you're <laughs> you're getting a coach as well. Well, you know, um, I mean, I mean awesome. that's all. I mean, for somebody like me, I, you know, uh, I'm a do it yourself kind of person. So, like, yeah, it would be great to be able to contact you, you know, and be like, hey, this is the situation. Anytime, yeah. anytime. And for people 
what I really enjoy getting is, is people um, that um, uh, are, are interested in getting into animal damage control. They may say, well, I've been a fur trapper. I've, I've trapped a little bit here and there. And then I'll ask them, what are you using? And, and I can invariably tell you 99 out of 100, it's like, yeah, we're using a single door trap that's gravity operated with a pan in the bottom. And I say, well, um, I can basically bring you from zero to 60 in three seconds. You'll be catching animals, making money day one. You'll pay for the equipment you buy from us the first day. You buy a woodchuck trap and you, you pay $100 for it and it's paid for in the first job. Mm -hmm. you're, you're out there, you charge a setup fee. A lot of times people charge 75, 100 or 150 for a setup, uh, maybe 50, 75 or whatever for an animal and you've paid for that trap, now you've got a trap that's probably gonna last you for the rest of your life, and you paid for it in one day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, there isn't very many businesses where you can pay for your equipment that fast and that easy. The same thing with beaver, woodchucks, uh, raccoons, all of them. You know, you bang, bang, bang. But, um, and, and the other thing too is that uh, people need to know that um, we are dealer of our products, and that there are, there are other dealers out there you can buy from, but it really helps us out a lot if you buy from us directly because otherwise we don't make very much on the traps that are sold by other dealers. We don't want to take away um, business from other dealers who have gone out and you know, got people you know, to uh, buy our, our traps, but if they're already a dealer of, uh, you know, already bought our traps or if they're looking for them and learn about us, say through this podcast, that mm -hmm. uh, buying directly from us helps us out a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, especially in today's post-COVID-19 yeah. uh, world where, you know, I don't want to say the rich got richer, but, you know, Walmart, Amazon, all those, you oh, know, boy. big, oh yeah. my goodness gracious, right? Um, yeah, they're killing it right now, but, you know, um, smaller companies, local companies, small businesses, um, well, you know, you guys fall into that category of small business. And, uh, you know, well, we've, we've got a niche, we've got a niche here because um, we have focused primarily on animal damage control, which is um, separate from, you know, like fur trapping and homeowners. So this is for the professional. However, if you want professional results and you really don't want to lose or miss animals, um, these traps have, um, you know, really revolutionized the way people have um, operated, you know, in their own lives, even with fur trapping. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had people that have set their own fur trapping records that they broke their records with regular conventional conibear traps with our cage traps. Let's say one trapper in Massachusetts caught over 400 beaver one winter. Uh, it, was, it was another trapper in Washington that caught over 100 out there his first year using them. So. Um, it's, that's the other thing too. These cage traps are not a lesser device. They're not a sellout, you know, where, where people say, oh, I used to use my bears, Now I have to use cages. Uh, the, the one statement by one Colorado trapper was we now, um, I would not use footholds in place of my cages. I would not trade my cages. I wouldn't go back to using them after they use the cages. They did that well with them. But uh, yeah, they can go to our website, uh, comstockcustomcage.com, uh, and uh, we have YouTube videos that are basically how-to videos, 
and and people have watched our videos and then called us up and said i saw them online and now i'd like to buy a trap and then we explain exactly what they saw and uh um then they're successful nice nice well i really appreciate you joining us i'm a big fan of not only you but your product as well um you're a wealth of knowledge and i encourage anybody to reach out to you uh, you're easy to get a hold of. Obviously, yeah. you're you're pretty easy to talk to and choke around with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anybody out there in the in the wildlife damage control, or even if you're just getting into trapping, definitely visit uh, ComstockCustomCages.com. Uh, that concludes our episode. Jim, did you have a good time? Was this all right? Great, great time. No, I. They say a good time. I say no. I had a great time. <laughs> Judy, Judy, did you have a good time in the background there? <laughs> He's asking you, Judy. Did you have a good time? Oh, great time. <laughs> uh, she's part of the business. You know, we work together on this. She takes the orders and handles everybody, and and uh, sends them all their uh, you know tracking numbers and all that. So good, 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 good. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, as always. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Airport Wild. Just remember to visit our um, visit us on Facebook. Uh, leave us a review if you like this episode. Um, visit customcages.com, and uh, we'll see you next time.